All right, I'm not sure where I'll stand, but uh, we'll figure it out. Um, so good morning, everybody. It's great to see everybody. I'm a little bit more nervous than last time for some reason, and I'm, I'm freezing cold. So anyway, it's great to have my, some of my friends here today, friends and family, and uh, it's great to see everybody. So I don't know, it's been, what, two months since I spoke last time on relationships. So I wanted to uh, follow up and talk about it uh, some more. Can never talk about relationships enough. And uh, so, you know, human beings developed an area of study to understand and describe God's creation. Anybody know what that is? Anybody? Is Logan here today? Logan's not here today? Oh, well, he would have gotten it for sure. So he's an engineering student right now. And he mentioned this subject in his message that he did a couple of weeks ago. Does that help anybody? Hallie, physics. That's right. Physics. That's right. So one of the laws of physics is that, as you heard from Logan, and he's not here, darn it, is that for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction, right? So many things in life are described relative to or in the context of their opposite. Am I right? Give you some examples. Light and darkness, hot and cold, good and evil, humble, prideful, positive, negative, initiating, waiting, etc. You guys could build a list really long list, right? It's amazing. Pretty much everything has an equal and opposite. So in my prior message, I spoke about how the Bible, this is really amazing to me. You know, the Bible, it consists, it's really big, right? Consists of 66 books written by 39 different authors over a period of 1,500 years. But that whole Bible, that massive book that intimidates many of you, is really quite simple. Yeah, it really is. You've been lied to. You really have. People think, oh, it's this complex thing. We need all these scholars. No, you actually really don't. And if you read it, you'll find out what I'm saying is true, because it's only about one thing and one thing only. What's that? Yeah, you remember. Yeah, relationships. That's it. The beginning starts with, thank you, Perfect relationship, right? Garden of Eden. Everything's great. No sin. Beautiful. Perfect weather. And then sin comes along. Ruins everything, right? And the rest of the Bible is all about all the amazing things God does to try to restore relationships. First with him and then with one another. That's it. Jesus Christ came to do what? To be the ultimate sacrifice for our sins so that he could be the ultimate redeemer of our relationship with God and with one another. That's it. That's the whole story. Okay, thank you, guys. Appreciate you guys coming out. <laughs> all right, all right. You guys are paying me big bucks, so I'll love. <laughs> I guess I should probably add to that. All right. So I also talked about, you might remember this, the things that hurt 
damage or even destroy relationships are described as what? Sin. Man, you guys are good students. I didn't expect that. Okay, well, then what's the opposite of sin? Oh my God, I don't even need to do this lesson, which is good news. That's good news. Yeah, that's exactly right. Love is that which builds, heals, and maintains relationships, which is why the greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You see, I'm not lying when I say the Bible's about only one thing, and it's not complex. You've been told that, so a lot of people can make a lot of money selling a lot of books to tell you what the Bible says. Thousands and thousands of books have been written to tell you what the Bible says. I'm going to sum it up today. It'll be all good. All right. So why are we here today? Why do we get together? Now you heard a little bit from Sean. Why do we get together on Sundays and other days? But why are we here? Well, anybody have any ideas? Okay, courage. To give to one another, to encourage one another. Anybody else? Build each other up. Those are great answers. I'm sorry. Reach out and save the lost. Yeah, we want to bring other people, help them to know God so they can have better relationship with God and with one another. Absolutely. Well, let's take a look at some scriptures. What does the Bible say? It says in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25, it says, and let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging, that was an answer given, right, one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Okay, so let's break that down. Spur, love, and good deeds. That sounds good, right? Anybody opposed to that? Todd, are you opposed? All right. So, yeah, spur, love, and good deeds, but to what end? relationships all right encourage one another that's what it also said now i like to always throw this in there because it's one of my pet peeves what does the word encourage mean it does not mean flattery in fact flattery is more harmful than it is beneficial it's often deceptive right no that's not what the word means it means to instill literally means to instill courage all right now, why? Because it's to instill the courage that we need to remain faithful for the whole race. Remember Reese Nealon spoke a couple weeks ago? You know, life is both short and long, is it not? When we're going through rough times, it feels really long, right? But, you know, you get to be mine, you realize, wow, it's, it's gone in a flash. It's, it's really fast, right? You just can't believe it's you. It's like, really, it's me? My, my, my daughter's married and that's crazy. That's, that can't be possible, right? Go super fast, right? But you're instill courage in one another so we can remain faithful for the whole race. To what end? Relationships that last and save. Ultimately, our relationship with God and with one another. The word righteous, what does it mean? Most people don't know. It literally means right relationship. Look it up if you don't believe me. It means right relationship. That's the key to life, right relationships. All right. So in keeping with that purpose that I just described, today I want to get even more practical because I believe at the end of the day, if we come here and we don't do anything different, 
it's a waste. But let's be honest. Many times you go to church or even you take a class and you everybody, oh, it was awesome, right? Right? And then what do they do differently? Absolutely nothing. That's why when I was doing a lot of teaching, I used to do a lot of teaching, I would always tell people, look, it just pick one thing. It's better that you pick one thing you're actually going to implement than to try to implement 10 things and do nothing. Right? Is that not true? So, today I want to get practical because that's what it's all about. So, yeah, right? Okay. So, we want to talk about some behaviors that impact the health of our relationships. And how the, I want you to note how they map back to the concepts of sin and love that I talked about earlier. Equal and opposite, because these behaviors will all map back to one or the other. But before we do that, because I think maybe you guys need some convincing. So maybe you don't, you don't believe that relationships are important. So maybe some of you can tell me some of the benefits of healthy relationships. Anybody? Ah, support, strength in numbers. Wow, that's stress. Companionship. Belonging. Yeah, these are all really good. Oh, one more. Trust. Well, trust is critical to have a relationship, right? If you don't have trust, are you going to have a relationship? Not a good one. Okay. All right, let's look at some other benefits. They enable, I'm going to trip over these wires. <laughs> that wouldn't be good, but it would be funny. And I know David here, he would laugh. He would. Yeah, he's a good friend of mine, so he would laugh. And, and I would do it just so that he could laugh. Okay? Right? Right? I, I'm not sure you do. All right. So they enable us to share good experiences, right? Uh, how many of you have ever been somewhere or done something, and you're like, this is so awesome, but you were alone? And what did you feel? Oh, I wish David was here. It would be so cool to share this. It, it's so much more powerful when it's a shared experience, is it not? All right. They help us through life challenges. There's some of you mentioned that, right? Challenges are less daunting and overwhelming when there's somebody with us, just with us. But they could also talk, try to talk us through it, et cetera, right? But if they're just there, the power of them just being there, Changes the experience, right? If it's a good relationship. And maybe it's, if it's not a good relationship, maybe not so much, right? All right. Reduces stress. Gio said that. Gives a sense, sense of purpose, right? Because we can help other people. We can serve other people. We can raise our children, take care of our parents, help our friends. The sense of purpose in our relationships. They help us to feel heard. Some people like Orlando, like to be heard, okay, right? They like to be heard. No, we all like to be heard, right? We all need someone. Reduces anxiety and depression, right? Lonely people are what? They're going to be depressed, right? Because we weren't created to be lonely. We are social creatures. That's just the way it is, okay? All right, so now that we've, have I got you on board? All right, are you convinced that relationships are worthwhile? Healthy relationships, I always want to qualify, right? I think it's water, I'm dry as parchment. 
to use a biblical term. All right. I should probably use a cap off. I'll probably knock it over, though. All right. All right. So now that I've done that, I've convinced you relationships are worthwhile. Let's go back to talking about some of these things that can either help or hurt our relationships. Okay. Let's start with the first one. Humble or prideful? Humble or prideful? You don't hear those words in society, do you? Right? It's not something you normally hear. All right, let's look at Ephesians chapter 4, verses 2 to 3. It says, be completely humble. Now, that's a challenge. That's a challenge. And gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. That sounds good, right? Anybody opposed? Anybody? All right, good. All right. Do you need to be right? Or are you willing to admit when you're wrong or to admit your faults? These are the things I want you guys to think about. Okay? All right. What is the source of most arguments? Right. Usually somebody's unwilling to admit they're wrong. Am I right? Oh, I'm right. Um, okay, good. I'm right. I like to be right. No. Yeah, it's true, right? I mean, I know in marriage, even the dumbest stuff, right? Like, even when you know you're wrong, and it's so obvious, and you're saying stupid stuff, you get caught up in not wanting to admit you're wrong. And, and it just creates an argument, right? It's, it's ridiculous, but, and we know it's ridiculous, and we're kind of embarrassed. If we, in fact, we get so deep, it's hard to back out. Because we dug such a hole, even though we know it's stupid and we're embarrassed. But that's what we do. It's the weirdest thing. All right. Now, giving or selfish? Giving or selfish? Are you known as a giver or a taker? Now, let's be honest. We've all been both. But what's your reputation? What's your reputation? What would people say if you weren't around? Okay. All right. Let's look at Matthew chapter 20, verse 28. It said, for even the Son of Man, Jesus, in case you were wondering, came not to be served, but to serve others, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Is that not what he did? He taught, he healed, he fed. That's what he did. He led by example. Okay, even corporate America says lead by example. Do they not? Okay. All right. Service. How does it feel to be served? Yeah. Come on. It's awesome, right? It's awesome. It makes us feel loved. It makes us feel appreciated. But the question is, do you wait to be served or do you serve? That's the question. I know for myself, you know, I'm in a great marriage. I have an amazing wife. You guys all know Connie. Okay. Her reputation is to be a serving. Is it not? Is it not? Yeah, she serves. So I've benefited. I've benefited personally. 
more than any of you. Okay, I hold the title. Top beneficiary. I mean, Hallie's pretty close. She's really benefited too. Maybe more than me, but I have more years with Connie than Hallie does. She's got a mere 25. I've got 33. Yeah, 33 years. Crazy. Like I said, it can't really be me, can it? And you can get comfortable being served, can you not? And that was something I got really comfortable sitting in my chair, you know, get me a drink, you know, make me some food. And I had to really get better at that. Tommy loves to serve, but boy, she likes it. If I at least ask, you need anything? Can I help you? Right? Right? So it's something to really think about in our relationships. And even though someone is willing to be so serving, make sure you don't take advantage. Make sure you think about and say, hey, how can I help? You know, look for ways to help. Just help. Don't even ask if you can help. Because some people, they will say, always say no. No, no, you're fine. You don't have to help. But you should still help. Okay. Now, encouragement. Do you build people up or do you tear them down? Do you build them up or do you tear them down? Do you always call out what needs to be better or do you generally praise what is good or at least improving? What's your reputation? Think about these things. Pray about these things. My nature as an engineering grad is to always look to find how something can be better. How can it be improved? And that's not in and of itself a bad thing. It's about balance. It's about, you know, if you do that all the time, I mean, I love my wife and daughter. And so you, you, you want the best for them. You want them to be their best. Especially when you raise a child, you always want to try to help them. You're always trying to help. But if you do that all the time, they might get insecure. They might think you only see their weaknesses or their faults. They might feel inadequate, right? So I had a really, my wife, of course, she's always really good at helping me see the things I need to do better. Uh, and she's right. I had to really think about that. I said, well, yeah, that's right. I, I'm trying to be helpful, but I need to make sure that people know how much I see what they're doing well, what their strengths are what they're good at, and that I really appreciate them, and I really am proud of them. I really, you know, uh, value them. Uh, so I think it's something to think about in our relationships. We don't always realize, because we mean well. Just because you mean well doesn't mean that, yeah, that, you know, you're not out of balance. All right, money. Got to get some money in here, right? Because everybody loves to talk about money, right? Especially at church. Especially at church. Oh, by the way, there's we'll be collecting the money later. No, just kidding. All right, so money. Do you say you can't afford to give, but spend generously on yourself and or waste money on things you don't need? Think about it. One of my pet peeves is... And I don't know if you've noticed this, but sometimes the people who complain about not having money, 
they're the worst stewards. They go to Starbucks every day. They're eating out three times a week, but then they got no money. Right? So you got to think about, or they buy a bunch of stuff that really has no value. Right? They're consumers. Right? Why do people consume? It's a drug, actually. There's dopamine hit. Now, what happens is the day after you bought whatever, the dopamine wears off. Right? You're stuck with the bill. You got a credit card, you know, but hey, it's a drug. That's we are hooked on so many drugs. And consuming is a, is is thing that causes us to have a dopamine hit. All right. Honest or dishonest? No one wants to admit they're dishonest, do they? No one says that. If I ask you, you say, Oh, I'm dishonest. No, everybody wants to feel that they're honest, right? But do we live in an honest society, ladies and gentlemen? Of the jury? No, it's. I, I think it's. It gets worse every day. I mean, the institutions that you should be able to look up to and believe in are leaders at different levels, whether it be the national leadership or corporate leadership or whatever. They lie pretty much every single day. Um, and what is that message? Does that send? Are we desensitized to dishonesty? I think we are. I think we are. We accept it. We accept it. And we expect it. And sometimes we allow it in our own lives. And then we'll say, well, this is a white lie. Right? Or, well, this is to protect. Or whatever else. So, what are you known for? Right? Who wants to be in a relationship? This is about relationships. I've got to get back to relationships. Who wants to be in a relationship with a dishonest person? No, no, nobody wants that. You see, nobody would ever say, I want to be in a relationship with a dishonest person. Nobody would say that. So let's take a look at Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 to 19. It says, there are six things that the Lord hates. Seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes. That means, you know, arrogance. Just in case you were confused by that old language. A lying tongue. Hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devised wicked plans. Feet that make haste to run to evil. A false witness who breathes out lies and one who sows discord among brothers, okay? Divisive person, gossiper, whatever, you know. Okay, notice how much of this focuses on dishonesty. And look at how strong the language is. God hates. It's an abomination. Why? Why? Because God is love, and this is destructive. It doesn't build up. It destroys. So, if you're God, would you not hate that? You would hope that God hates that. <laughs> you would hope for that. Because if he doesn't, we're, we're in a bad spot. <laughs> okay? Now, healthy relationships require trust. Do they not? They do. Okay? Does dishonesty breed, breed, uh, breed trust? No, of course not. 
I know this is all sounding very basic, but is this not our everyday life, guys? Okay. So being positive or negative? Positive. Are you known to be positive or negative? Who do people gravitate towards? Positive people, unless you're looking for someone to jump on the bandwagon. Am I right? Then you're going to find someone who's going to resonate with your negativity, correct? But in general, ideally, if we're healthy, we want to be around positive people, right? Makes us feel better. There's a much better energy. Uh, okay. So let's take a look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. It says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only that which is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those that listen. Anybody disagree? Does that sound good? Right? Sounds good to me. Now, it's okay, as I said earlier, it's okay and even beneficial Talk about issues, concerns, and opportunities for improvement. Those are, that's not bad. It's a matter of balance, right? It's just a matter of balance, okay? So are you known for supporting or criticizing? Criticizing or helping? Have you ever noticed, I have, and some of you are guilty in this room, have you ever noticed that some of the most negative, critical people do the least? They always got something to say, but they're never there to help out. They're never part of the solution. Does that make sense? Is that true what I'm saying? You, have any of you guys noticed that? Yeah, I've noticed it. Okay, so we don't want to be known for that. What kind of relationships do you think such a person has? How do you think God views such a person? Things to think about. All right, let's move on. Initiating or waiting? Initiating or waiting? Do you reach out or initiate with others, or do you wait for them to come to you? Think about it. And then lament or even complain if they don't. Look, guys, relationships don't build themselves. Do they? No, they don't. Okay? It's okay to make the first move, too. It's okay. I don't mind it. If you want to initiate with me, I'm all in. Especially if you're going to be positive and not negative. All right. So be first to share how you are doing and first to inquire how others are doing. Be open and vulnerable because being so helps others to do the same, right? It's hard to open up and talk to someone who's very tight, right? Right? It's hard to have a relationship with that. But if you're willing to be open, other people, they want to be open. They're just looking for a safe place to do that, right? And you feel a lot safer with someone who's open than with someone who's closed, right? Right, Gavin? All right, good. 
just want to make sure Gavin's with me. All right, let's look at Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 to 20. Now, this is a... I told you these chords are going to get me. I knew it. All right, it says... Now, this is a very famous Christian scripture. It's just before Jesus goes up into heaven. He says, he gives the command. The Great Commission, they call it. It says, go and make disciples of all nations. Okay? He didn't say, wait for people to come to you and ask for help. How many of you reached out to someone and asked them to help you to build a healthy relationship with God? How many? How many of you are here today because somebody reached out to you? Initiated with you. All right. Forgiving or unforgiving. I think we've all been both, right? But let's talk about it. Let's go to Romans chapter 3, verse 23. It says, for all have sinned. Okay. And fall short of the glory of God. We all need and want to be forgiven, right? Right? But are you forgiving? Are you forgiving? This comes up. We get things, we get stuck on things, don't we? Let's be honest, we do. And sometimes we don't think about it. We hide it away. You may have something right now that is sickening to you. And you feel justified not forgiving that evil person. Right? True. We, we get like that. But let's look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 15. It says, but if you do not forgive others for their sin, your Father will not forgive you for your sin. Sounds fair, right? Think about it. If God, who has not sinned against us, is willing to forgive us, even send his son to die for us, is willing to forgive us, then who are we not to forgive others? Right? And have the goal to expect other people to forgive us. Right? The unmitigated goal. All right. So what happens to a relationship when sins are not forgiven? When wrongs are not forgiven? The relationship is going to be unhealthy at best. And most likely, it just dies off, right? But if we forgive each other, the relationship can heal and grow, right? Now, we've all experienced these things, right? We've all experienced them. My wife and I, believe it or not, have sinned against each other many, many times. Uh, it's, I'm confessing in front of everybody. Yes, we have. We have done it uh, many, many times. We've been impatient. We've send, said things that are unloving. We've been selfish, mostly me. And it immediately separates us. You feel it right away. Okay? But, and we both feel miserable. Right? 
And you stay miserable until what? Yeah, you have humility and you forgive, you apologize, and then you feel great. When you get reconciled, doesn't reconciliation feel good? It feels good. So don't wait for the other person to be humble and loving and forgiving. As I have done too many times, right? We always want the other person to make us initiate, right? We want them to initiate the humility, the forgiveness, right? But don't do that. That only extends the amount and length of misery for everybody, right? Now that lead by example. You mentioned it earlier, right? And husbands, lead by example. We often wait for our wives to come and reconcile. Anybody done that? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Gio's hiding over there behind Karen. Okay. All right. So, guys, at the end of the day, these are just this is just a handful of things. I, I, I could go on and on and on. Right? But, but, but don't panic. Don't panic. Don't panic. That's right. That's right. That's right. No. Look, it's all about choice and free will. It's about taking personal responsibility. The great thing is you get to choose. You get to choose. So choose wisely. So blaming others seldom helps, does it? We're good at it. We've refined the skill over many, many years of practice, right? We've invested heavily in the skill of blaming others, haven't we? Some of us take great pride in our ability to blame shift, right? But does it really ever help? Does it help? No, it really doesn't. So, anyway, I'm going to finish with two things, a scripture and a challenge. I already told you the challenge up front, but I'm going to reiterate it. Because some of you are remedial. I mean, uh, 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 might not have been paying attention. <laughs> All right, let's look at Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 to 14. It says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against somebody. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Does that not cover everything? I mean, it's amazing. My wife gets credit for this. She's the one who suggested this. I, I close with this scripture. I mean, she couldn't have found a better scripture that covers all the stuff I talked about. It's, it's really quite amazing. All right. So the challenge is this. I reiterate. Pick one thing. Pick one thing. Think about it first. And then pick one thing that you're going to do this week to heal or build a relationship. 
to heal or build a relationship. And consider pairing with someone to encourage and celebrate follow-through. And what I mean by that is, if you talk to someone about what you're going to do, and hold each other accountable, check in. Hey, George, did you actually go and apologize to, 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 uh, to David? Did you do that? You know what I mean? Like, in a positive way, encourage each other to follow through. Because sometimes we do pick one thing, don't we? But then we still don't do it. <laughs> the next day comes and we've forgotten the whole thing. Or we lose our nerve. But if you have someone, uh, a good relationship with someone that can help you and you can encourage each other and you can follow up, then you can celebrate. Then even next week in fellowship, you could say, hey, you know what? I was really dreading this, but I went and talked to my sister and, um, you know, we, we got resolved. We got it worked out. I feel so much better. I'm really nagging on you. Whatever, right? So anyway, thank you guys so much. Sorry for my nervousness. I don't know why. Today was one of those days. All right? Anyway, thanks, everybody. I just wanted to just thank Mike for his, where's Mike? There's Mike uh, for his, uh, his lesson today. I can attest to you whenever I have dinner at their house, Connie is very amazing serving, but they're both very encouraging. Uh, very rarely do I go over there and it's not encouraging. It's very, very rare. It has happened once, but that's about it. Um, most of the time it's amazing. And it's, it wasn't Connie either. Uh, now, Mike's a dear friend. I love him very much. He's a, he's a great friend of mine, a great influence on me. And I just really hope that you take that message to heart because I did. I think the area I'm going to grow in is encouragement. I can do a little bit more than that. I have a, uh, an amazing son. His name is Jaden. He is an 18-year-old, and I'm learning how to live with another man in the house. He is no longer a boy. And uh, I'm trying to balance the teaching with also being close. It's a, it's a, tough, it's a tough juggling act to try to you know, encourage him. And I got to do more encouragement with him. The other day, he says, dad, do you even like me? I'm like, yeah, of course I like you, which indicated I got to do much more encouraging, much more encouragement. So thanks, Mike. It was really impactful. Uh, I should have had this slide when you were speaking, Mike. I, 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 I didn't see the clicker. I was like, Mike, I, I saw it up there. And it was just bugging me the whole time. I was like, uh, but I had a slide for Mike. Uh, I'm going to talk about that big old money basket that Mike talked about. It's my turn. Uh, giving, generosity. So the mentality is, is not just church tithing. That's not, not what God is desiring. God wants us to be generous humans because he's a generous God. So that's the transformation. And so this is what he was trying to teach his people, the Israelites. It's called Judaism and how they eliminated the middleman. They used to worship gods, you know, false idols, real gods, spiritual beings, but in, in these um, stone images. And so I'm going over a book with you called The Act of Grace, The Power of Generosity to Change Your Life, the Church, and the World. And N.T. writes, one of, the, one of the scholars here, he writes about this. He has master, masterfully documented why the religious establishment was enraged at Jesus. When God arrived to rule and restore Israel to bring back the exiles and the Gentiles, because they had been overthrown by other nations because they ceased to uh, follow God, and so God, they got overtaken. He threatened every institution that the establishment had co-opted for their purposes. They were quite willing to sacrifice others, the poor, and even Jesus, in order to stay in control. 
And Jesus announced the end of the temple, the city, and the people, unless they changed, repented, and joined the kingdom. But how great their darkness was. They were blinded by looking out for themselves. The Babylonian captivity and the ministry of the prophets had purified Israel from active service to identified pagan gods. But without a change of heart within the worshipers, monotheism simply eliminated the middleman, the external idol, from the transaction. And now the Israelites went directly to serving the acquisition of money, crops, cattle, and land. So when Jesus comes to the scene, he overturns the tables at the temple. It was about transactions. It was about they, were, they, they chose to trust the, uh, the acquisition of wealth versus trusting God. So the first century Jews were blind to the idolatry of their quest to gain security and material things rather than God. Can we relate to that? Can we not relate to the Israelites? Like, man, we're just trying to save and try to get to retirement, right? We're just, how can I put more away to do it faster, right? And then I'll be generous. No, it's not how it works. Be generous while you have the opportunity. Write comments. Family and property were sustaining Jesus' contemporaries in an idolatrous pursuit, in a quest they could not hope to win. And those who held property had invested the institutions of Judaism with a quasi-divine status, which they relied on for their life. And this is why Jesus says this to them, talking to the Israelites, talking to the institutions, talking to his people. Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy. I shot a vermin once. And, you, you did, and there's no limit to how many of you, those you can eliminate from the earth. Where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy. And where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Here's a question I ask myself every year. Have I given more? Have I been more generous or less generous? You know, am I still giving my contribution from the amount from 2010 or 2023? I ask myself every year, am I giving more? Am I increasing my generosity? Not just with church, with people. Like I went to all, I had a lot of appointments in coffee shops this last week. And, and, I, and I was challenged because it's annoying to, I'm just doing a, I'm going to the table. I'm going to you. I'm, I'm picking up the coffee. I'm, I'm doing this transaction and you still want a 15% tip. And I'm annoyed. I'm like, what? I, you didn't do anything. I did it. I got to walk over there and grab it, go to my seat. No one's serving me. It's a self-service, but 15% nonetheless. And some have even have 18, 20. I'm like, the audacity. And it was challenging. So every time I'm like, I'm going to, because I'm teaching and preaching generosity, I got to do it. And then I remembered, oh, yeah, my daughter works at a coffee place. She can, she can use the money. And it started to click in for me. God is always reminding me to be generous with others, even though I don't like it sometimes. That's what generosity, transfer, the transformational thought of being a generous person. And my wife makes me tip 20% at every restaurant. Like, Isn't it 15? Isn't it 15? And we'll argue and do it. Give 20, honey. I'm like, fine, 20 it is, right? You need a Karen and a Connie in your life to kind of set me and Mike straight, right? Let's pray about our hearts and let's pray about our contribution. God, thank you so much for the, 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 the message of Jesus, the, the encouragement to be generous. It just feels so good when we do it, God, because we remember that you're generous. 
You're unfailing in your love. You have endless love, endless uh, forgiveness of our lives, God. We're so thankful for you. We just pray that you'd be lifted up this morning and, and, and worthy and feel praised and encouraged, God, that we are just honored to be here. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.